Excellent. Won't you uh, wave to someone in the room, across the room, while I get ready? Be no handshakes like usual today. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, worship team. Can we give a hand to the production team? I just are doing such a phenomenal job. They've been filming us and doing all sorts of things to try and make us look as comfortable as we can up here with, t with screens and TVs. It's hard work, but uh, wonderful having you all in the room again. There's just something about knowing that we can be together as community here, but even though there are people that can't be here, I know there are people watching from all over the globe, and Acts 2020 speaks about the corporate gathering, but also the gathering from homes to homes. And so we in year 2020 are seeing that outwork, but uh, excited for the time we can all be in the house together again. Today, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter 2. I want to take a moment just to read from this, because it's a similar situation that Paul is in that some of us could have been feeling like we're in. Um, the Apostle Paul here is in prison, he's in jail, but even though he's in jail, he has joy in him. And I want us to see something of what that looks like and how we can access that. You see, we know that the scripture says that who the son sets free is free indeed. And though, even though he was in prison, he was living with a level of freedom that went and transcended every lock, bolt, and chain, every circumstance, situation, limitation, and intimidation the enemy could bring against him. He was able to live beyond that because he had been set free and was continuing choosing and purposing to live free. Now, we've been set free, but we've got choices to make how we're going to use our freedom and what that's going to look like. And if you look in chapter one, and uh, I want to encourage you to read through all four chapters because it's such a great uh, book. But the first chapter reveals, Paul is revealing Christ as our purpose. He says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when you are passionate about, about something, you say, you know, I live for that thing be it bass fishing, be it surfing, be it your family, whatever it might be, and that means that's my passion, that's my purpose, this is what I love to do. And the Apostle Paul is saying, for me to live, be in my passion, my purpose, my full focus is Christ, and to die is gain, because then I'm gonna be in the ultimate consummation of that. But here in chapter two, we see that we're getting a picture of Christ as our pattern. How can we live in this world? Even in the midst of trying times, circumstance, and situation, how can we live in freedom and in a way that glorifies God and serves others? And so the key verse here is going to be verse 5. We're going to get to it in just a moment. But it's this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's about having the mind of Christ. And if we're wanting to live according to his pattern and all of his purpose and all of his promise and all that he has for us, then we need to shift our perspectives a bit from what this world would be telling us. And I don't know about you, but I love it when I learn something new and it's like, wow, I've never seen it like that before. It goes beyond just being informational to being transformational. It's something that takes place where it shifts the way I think, which means I live differently. Now, let me give you an example of this. This world is always telling us what success looks like. It's telling us you need to accomplish goals and you need to achieve results, and you need to climb up the ladder. And you might ask, well, what ladder? Well, any ladder, as long as you're higher than someone near you. That's what this world is saying. But I read a quote from John Maxwell. I'm going to put it up on the screen. 
This is his definition of success. Success is when those who know you best love and respect you most. Success is when those who know you best love and respect you most. I mean, that was a perspective shift for me when I read that. It was a different pattern of success that I felt I needed to and I feel challenged to live by. Because success is not so much we see about what we're doing, it's about living true to who God has called us to be in a way that honors Him and blesses others as our life overflows. So it requires a perspective shift, which means that you're gonna live according to a different pattern. So God's word shifts our experience that in the situation that you're in. You know, you should be in a place of misery, yet you're in a place of ministering. How does that take place? And it's because he had this different way of thinking. And that's another key theme. We see that over 16 times. It mentions this thing about thoughts and the way that you're thinking, what you're thinking on, what you're remembering, your attitude, this pattern that we can live by. And so let's jump into the scripture. We're gonna put on the screen Philippians chapter two, verse one. And it starts off with some questions. And now these questions, are he's not actually asking, has this happened? He's saying, it's to provoke you to recognize this has happened in my life as I've received Christ. Verse one, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? By being like-minded. You see, there was some division happening in that time, a little bit of controversy, a little bit of sensationalism that was pulling people in every direction. And the Apostle Paul was saying, no, I want you to be like-minded. It's the Greek word, and it'll go up on the screen, phronio. It means to set your affection, to think or to be single-minded. And here's the thing, if you are not setting your affections, then your emotions will divert your attention. If you are not setting your affections, then your emotions will divert your attention. You will respond emotionally to whatever's happening here or this controversy or this sensationalism or this division or this little bit of gossip. Your emotions will pull you in every direction. You and I are, be, are being called to be those that set our affections on the pattern that Christ has revealed to us through his life. And that's what we're seeing here. And now the question that we might wanna ask is why does that matter? Why does it matter how we are setting our thoughts? Well, we'll see over and over through scripture how important thinking is. Romans 12 verse two, we see it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In James it says, a double-minded man is unstable, and all he does, Paul says to the church in Corinth, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He says in Philippians 4 verse 8, when you read over that, whatever is noble and pure and right and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. In Proverbs, he says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. I love Joyce Meyer says uh, this explanation with that, she says, where the mind goes, the man follows. Where the mind goes, the man follows. And so it's so important that we're shifting our perspective and setting our affection on the pattern of Christ. So my first point is this, how you think determines what you become. You've heard me say before a quote from Craig Rochelle, 
I love it. It says, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What are you thinking? Because I'm gonna, I'll be able to tell you where you are going. If you are thinking poorly, then you're gonna be heading to an impoverished destination. If you are thinking in an unhealthy way, you're gonna be heading to a toxic environment. If you are thinking according to God's purposes and his promises and his person, then you're gonna be heading not only to a destination, but to destiny to see his unfolding purpose, plan, and calling outwork in your life. But what are you thinking? Because that's taking you somewhere. I love being part of the the Church of the Nations family, and actually, as I'm preaching with you this morning, I'm also preaching in Jeffreys. How does that happen? Technology. Um, but, but Pastor Louis always says to us, he says, I want you to get alongside other leaders. And the reason he says that is not that you can copy what they're doing, but he says, if you can understand how they think, if you can find out what's influencing them, if you can see how they're processing their thoughts to be effective where they are, then you don't need to copy them. You've got your own capacities, abilities, talents, and gifting and calling, but you can learn from how they think to see that fruitfulness outwork in your own unique situation as well. There's something about gaining from thoughts. But here the apostle Paul takes it a step higher, and he's saying, I want you to be like-minded, but here's the thing. I don't want you just to think like everyone else. I love that we can be together today, but I don't want us to just settle for thinking just as a community here. The Apostle Paul is challenging us. He says, I want you to think like Christ. I want you to think like Jesus. And we know that in Corinthians, we're told we have been given the mind of Christ. What a beautiful gift. Can you? It's so amazing. We've been given the mind of Christ. And verse five here in 2 Philippians, the Apostle Paul is picking up on him and he's saying, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you as well. What is the challenge there? Here's the thing. We have been given, when we were born again, we were given access to the mind of Christ. But the choice belongs to you and to me whether we're gonna allow his mind to function through us. What choices are you making? How are you shifting your perspective? How are you living according to his pattern? And here's the reason this is so important. I can love hearing about Jesus. I can love reading about him. I can wanna be like Zacchaeus up in the tree following Jesus around seeing what he's doing. I can want to be like the woman with the issue of blood who wants to press through and get something from Jesus. I can be like that little boy that wants to say, Lord, I'm gonna give you some things, do something amazing. I can be like that. But when you tell me to live like Jesus, I can get a little bit intimidated. I can think, well, no, that's, that's impossible. How do I live according to Jesus's pattern? You know, I could never be as loving as he is, or as generous as he is, or as compassionate was gracious. I could never please the Father heart of God quite like Jesus does. And we live according to, and I used to have one of these bracelets. I also used to have a fish on my car until I realized that uh, the Lord needed to deliver me from a little bit of road rage and I wasn't such a great witness. So the fish isn't on the car and the bracelet isn't on my arm because I want to say it needs to go a little bit beyond what would Jesus do to what does Jesus think beyond what would Jesus do to what does Jesus think? Because it's gotta be more than just an action that we're trying to do, it's gotta be an inspiration from our hearts. And so the second point is this, if you think like Jesus thought, then you'll live like Jesus lived. If you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. We've been given access through the Spirit to the mind of Christ, and the very same Spirit empowers us to live a life like Christ that is glorifying to God but we've gotta make sure and make the choice, where are our thoughts going? Because how did Jesus think? 
Well, if you look at what he taught and how he lived, let me tell you, he was always thinking about how can I please the Father? This is my greatest delight. And he was always thinking about how I can love people. And that's what he thought. And uh, I want to challenge us because sometimes we think, you know, I want to love God and please people. No, no, we, we want him to love God, yes, but we want him to please God and love people. We're not called to be people pleasers. And Jesus didn't do it through that in any way. <laughs> shape or form, but he lived by this. When he was asked what's the greatest command, he said this, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he was teaching them, you need to live a life pleasing, glorifying to God, and a life that is loving people. Verse three says this, we can put it on the screen. It says, do nothing. Won't you say that with me? Do nothing. Now, that sounds good for a, a Durban summary day to think back about hammocks and lilos, but that's not what it's meaning here because it's going to reveal it as we read further. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, you can do those things. It's not actually trying to be malicious to anyone else or harm anyone else, but it's living according to my own motives, my own persuasions, my own desires, and maybe puffing my own vanity up a little bit. But here it says don't do that, but in humility, Consider others better than yourself. Now, there's a Greek word for humility, and we can put it on the screen, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'm too proud for that. I'd get it wrong. No, I won't even try to pronounce it. Uh, but this is what it means. It means modesty. It means humility of mind. It means lowliness of mind. This is what it's saying. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind. It's saying I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to choose in my mind to position myself lower so that I can live a life pleasing to God and a life positioned to serve his purpose and love other people well. I'm choosing that. Humility of mind. I'm gonna live in such a way. Continues verse four to say, each of you should not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others as well. He's not saying you should think less of yourself. He's saying you should think of yourself less. He's not saying think less of yourself, but he's saying think of yourself less so that you can see and think of others around you as well. That's the pattern Jesus lived by. That's what he modeled. And then it goes on in verse five to say this, your, we can go there, your what? Your attitude. Now with a little bit of attitude, turn to someone next to you with your mask on and say your attitude. And now with a more loving tone, you can say your attitude needs to be like that of Christ Jesus. Because your attitude determines your altitude. You've heard that quote before. Let me show you how just a little attitude shift can have dramatic results. Um, there was a little boy, he loved his baseball, and he had his baseball and his baseball bat, and he went out in the back garden, and he said, I am the greatest batsman that has ever lived, and he threw that ball up, and he took a swing, he missed it, it fell to the ground, and he thought, well, you know, champions always keep pitching up. He said, I am the greatest batsman that has ever lived, and he threw the ball up, he took another swing, missed it, it hit the ground, and he said, that's fine, because third time's when the champions pitch up. And he took that ball, and he said, I'm the greatest batsman that ever lived, threw it in the air, swung, he missed it once again, it hit the ground, he looked at it, and he was astounded as a youngster would be, and he said, this is amazing. I'm also the greatest pitcher that ever lived because I just struck out the greatest batsman of all time. You see, a little bit of an attitude shift can, can make a big difference. 
So the question being, now what is attitude then, if it can make such a big difference? Your attitude are your mental habits. It's your habits of thought. It's how you've trained yourself to think or where you've allowed yourself just to be carried along by your thoughts. Habits are required. You can either build good habits of thinking or allow yourself to fall into bad habits of thinking. It all requires around this. An action repeated is a habit formed. An action repeated is a habit formed. So we can either be setting our affection, living in a certain way that's building a pattern that forms healthy habits, or we can be passive and allowing ourselves to be carried around to the patterns of this world, and we conform to its purposes and pattern. The question is, what are you repeating in your life that's forming healthy habits that glorifies God. Romans 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the promise there. So let me bring it back a step. Paul is not saying have a positive attitude. A positive attitude is great. Paul is not saying that. He's saying, I want you to have a Christ-like attitude. Have an attitude, have a posture in your mentality and the choices that you're making and the, and the patterns that you are repeating and the habits that you are building that are like Christ Jesus. And in the midst of this moment, that's a great challenge when we find ourselves in a place that people have been trying to pick up all sorts of new pursuits and hobbies and habits as their lifestyles have changed. Are they pursuing Christ's purposes? Verse five, your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. The Passion Translation puts it like this. Let his mindset become your motivation. You see, attitudes have an outworking. That's why it's so important to have an attitude like Christ. So where does this attitude lead him? And what did it lead him to do? If you uh, put it up, verse six. Following your Bibles, I might not have it on the screen. I can't remember. Verse six. Who being, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature, sorry, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, if we're wanting to follow Jesus' pattern, there's a perspective shift we need from what this world would tell us according to its pattern. This world tells us it's all about us. It's all about you. It's about your happiness. It's about you making the decisions that are gonna serve you well. And it's this thing about self-promotion. You know, I've gotta get myself out there. I've got to be great. I've got to promote myself. I've got to get as many Facebook followers. Scribes, it could be that. But there's this thing of self-promotion. But here's Jesus' pattern. Here's the perspective shift we need. And uh, I've got teenagers, so I'm trusting they're listening with me as I'm sharing. I'm listening as well, Luke and Ambly. Number three, point number three. Pleasing God, and I'm meaning about social media, but let's jump into the point. Pleasing God is not about self-promotion, but about self-abandonment. Pleasing God is less about self-promotion and more about self-abandonment. Verse six, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, the Greek word grasp is the word to rob or to plunder, and quite a dramatic word, the word rape. That's what um, the word grasp means. And equality with God is not something to be grasped at, to be robbed, or trying to be taken and plundered from him. Lucifer tried to do that. We see over five times in the Old Testament this phrase, I will. He said, I will exalt myself. I will ascend. I will be like God. And we know with Adam and Eve in the garden, 
He said, you can be like God, but equality with God is not something to be grasped at. You see, when you know your identity, you don't have to grasp at godliness. Jesus modeled this out for us, but we can know that we can receive inheritance through and becoming sons and daughters who have an inheritance, who are invited into relationship, that we get to be partakers in the divine nature of God, freely given. It's a beautiful thing. We don't have to grasp when we know our identity, but there can be the sense of self-abandonment. What does that mean? It means when we lose our life in Christ, we find Christ's life in us. When we lose our life in Christ, we find Christ's life in us. Verse 6, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is speaking about Jesus, who was with God and is God, having all the glory of heaven focused upon him. And he chose to be stripped down, to be stripped down to being a servant who would come and serve those who would sin against him. He's the one that has every right to be praised and glorified and magnified as we were doing in worship today. And yet he took the longest journey this world has ever seen, the longest road ever walked, where he came from, down from the throne of glory and positioned himself in humility as a servant to love and to wash the feet of the lowliest of the low. This is how Jesus made himself nothing. So let me ask you this question. What did God create the world out of? Out of nothing. So many of us can say nothing good is happening in my life. I'm amounting to nothing. There's nothing in my life for God to work with. And we can feel in this place of nothing. I want to say to you that when you are nothing, God can make something great out of you. When you are nothing, God can make something great out of you. He does extraordinary things out of what others would say are nothing. But when you think you are something, the scriptures say don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. When you think of yourself as something, you are placing obstructions for God's purpose and his desire and his destiny for you to be outworked in your life. What are the things that you are thinking are something of yourself. It makes clutter in your life. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 in the Passion Translation sums it up beautifully. It says, God resists you when you are proud. And here's the, the part I love. But he multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. He multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. Graham Cook says, the humble man has an advantage over all other men. You know why? Because no one can put him down because grace and favor are being multiplied, multiplied and multiplied and they keep on lifting him up. It's a beautiful outworking when we follow Christ's pattern. And Jesus made himself nothing. He sets this pattern for us to follow. It's not about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. It's not about saying, I'm gonna do this with my life. It's knowing my life is not my own. I've been purchased with a price. It's the blood of Jesus. And it motivates and it inspires and it shifts things within me. Verse seven. So Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Now here's the key. When the apostle Paul starts writing in chapter one, it's the only epistle where he doesn't define himself as an apostle, but he starts off by saying, I'm a servant. Because he's saying, there's a pattern here I want you to see. There's a perspective shift I need you to get. And this is it, is that I am a doulos. That's what the word means in the Greek. It says, I'm here, position myself lowly so that I can serve God and serve you well. And the way this word, what it means is this. It's a person who is permanently devoted to doing the will of another. Permanently devoted to doing the will of another. He says, I've been set free, but my freedom has a purpose. 
It's permanently devoted to doing the will of Jesus. Now, let me say something further there. A doulos was a servant who had served for a portion of time, but had been set free. But they had known such favor from their master and such love for him and his household that the servant of their own free choice said, I'm going to freely, not under compulsion, I'm going to freely choose to devote my life to you. And then what would happen is they would take what was called an awl or an object for piercing, put the, the servant's ear against a, a door frame, push it through. And there's this picture of a nail and this picture of piercing and a wooden frame. What's that a picture of? What is that symbolic of? You see, we go on to read this, that Jesus made himself nothing so that he could become a servant. It's that word once again, doulos. He was permanently out of his freedom, out of all the glory of heaven. He chose freely to come and devote himself to serving his father's purpose. He was a father pleaser. What are we doing with our freedom and the freedom we find ourselves with? He had self-abandonment, losing his life so that he could find resurrection life for us all. Fourth point is this, another perspective shift. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. Won't you say that with me? Can we put it up on the slide? Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. Sorry, I don't know how I said it the first time. A servant is who I am. Uh, you see, here's the thing with this. It's amazing how just looking at something from a different angle can just open it up to you in such a magnificent way. Uh, I'm a, a lover of the game Boggle, and you've got to turn that around to see what words are made. And can we just leave it on the screen for a little bit longer? I'm going to ask people to read it one more time because I want us to get it. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. Now, we've said that aloud, and if your spouse is in the room or your children are in the room, they're going to hold you accountable to that statement, which is a good thing, because we don't want it to be just the temporary moment, because we all can serve temporarily, but this needs to be a permanent disposition, a permanent disposition where we're not just seeing ourselves as those needing to be served, but that we are servant-hearted. And uh, I don't know if you've watched Undercover Boss. Anyone seen that? I love that show, where you see this, this leader of a corporation going to the grassroots level to be with the employees. They don't know who he is, and he works for about a week with them. And uh, you'll see he initially gets frustrated because they're not serving the vision of the corporation. They're not serving with the right work ethic. They're not serving the turn of investments and, and the cash flow. But then through the week, you see something shift, and he starts to see the individuals for who they are and the circumstances they're under. And he starts to have a heart to serve them. And he wants to serve by paying for their education and serve by pro providing them with a promotion and to serve by um, giving them a vacation. And it's this feel-good moment. It's a beautiful thing where there's this temporary shift and he's suddenly wanting to serve others, not to only be served. But there's this challenge for us. It needs to be permanent. A servant is who I am. I don't go to church just to serve. And I want to thank you, media team and production team. You are amazing and welcome team. But we don't go to church just to serve. We are servants. It's an outworking of who we are. We don't help people just to help in a moment, but it's a natural disposition when we are lovers of God and lovers of others. Serving is an outworking of who I am. That's, this is the pattern. Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28, I didn't come to be served, but I came to, to serve. That's the pattern. How did he serve? This is one of the most powerful passages of scriptures, uh, Scripture, and I'm coming in to end with one last point. Verse 8 to 11, let's read it. Put it up on the screen. Thank you. 
And being found in the appearance of a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death. This is the greatest act of service the world has ever seen. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, I just love that word, therefore. I wanna say to you, if you move in humility and obedience to God, God will move all of heaven to bring a therefore about in your situation. You see, there was humility and obedience, and therefore, you see, the, the privilege is ours, but the power is God, and God pitches up powerfully. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that a beautiful response to the pattern that Jesus modeled? That's what Jesus did. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, took on the nature of a doulos, and was totally devoted to living a life pleasing his father and serving others. Now, I want you to think about this, because there are many verses throughout the book of, uh, of Philippians that you would be thinking, well, how can Paul think like this? How can the apostle Paul think these thoughts? I mean, you've just got to remember, he's in prison, 24 hours chained to a Roman God. He is facing possible, he is facing trial and possible execution, and yet how does he say these sort of things? He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, what a beautiful statement. How could he say, I consider my life worth nothing other than that I may do the will of God? How does the apostle Paul say, I consider everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus? How does he say while he's in house arrest, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, so that the peace of God that transcends every situation, all understanding, will protect, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How does he, how does he say that? How does he do that? Because here's the thing, if you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. See, he's living according to a different pattern that's not conforming to the world's patterns but it's forming him. He is being formed in the image of Christ and Christ is being formed in him. And there's something about that that is glorifying to God and freeing not only to himself in whatever circumstance, but to others as well so that he can be full of joy and he can say, let you be in the same heart, like-minded, so that my joy can be complete. Your joy completes my joy because I'm living so sacrificially and servant-hearted because I've seen it modeled to me by Jesus. And here's the last thing. He could have been miserable, we could be miserable. You know, the year 62 AD hadn't worked out exactly to the Apostle Paul's plans. He thought he would be preaching in Rome, but he is a prisoner in Rome. The world was saying he was in misery, but he was called to ministry. And so he, he was in a place that could have been miserable. And 2020 hasn't worked out quite the same as we might have envisioned. We're in a place where we could feel miserable. You know, I don't have what I, I want and it's been tough and my finances aren't where they should be and I prayed to God and he hasn't answered me like I want him to and how can I have any joy or rejoice in the midst of the craziness that is COVID? But here's the final perspective shift that we see through Christ's pattern. Point number five, we can put it on the screen. My joy is not based on what happens to me but on what God is doing in me and through me. My joy is not based on what happens to me but what God is doing in me and through me. 
You see, there's something where we see Jesus who says, for the joy set before him, it says of him in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't, his joy wasn't based on happy happenings. It was based on God's purposes happening in him and carrying him. The apostle Paul, in a similar way, in chapter one, verse 12, facing all the things he's facing, says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You might have thought my condition and my situation was miserable. I wanna say it was setting me up to be able to minister. You might have said that is just such a terrible situation. I want to say it was giving me a testimony and a pulpit from which to preach. You might say, well, you're not preaching like you thought you'd be in Rome, and he would be saying, because you're a prisoner, and he would say, what do you mean? Because I've got a Roman soldier in the imperial guard strapped to my leg, and guess what? I've got a message. So who really is the prisoner? Because I'm going to preach. You see, it's a, it's a perspective shift. It's not based on what's happening to me, but what God is doing in me, and through me. That's why in the middle of house arrest, facing persecution, the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I'm going to rejoice with all of you. I'm glad because you know why? It's not about me. It's all about him. It's always been about him and it'll always be about him. It's not about me. If I think like he thought, I can live like he lived. And if I want to please God, it's not about self-promotion, it's about self-abandonment. And if I lose my life in Christ, I'll find Christ's life in me. And my joy isn't based on what anyone does to me, it's what God is doing in me and through me. And so you can lock me up, but you cannot shut me up because I'm not miserable because I have a, a message and a ministry. And that is the perspective shift as we get to live according to Christ's pattern which means not only are we set free, but our freedom has a purpose, and it's to be those who see freedom coming to many who are living in bondage, lockdown, isolation, terrible circumstances. But we are a people with a pattern found in Christ. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you that we get to just experience your presence here today and the liberty of what it means to know that who you have set free through your son, Jesus, we get to live in the ultimate freedom, no matter our circumstance, no matter our situation. And Lord, I just pray that where there have been things that have kept people in lockdown thinking, I just pray for a, a shift. I pray for a, a perspective change. I pray that we'd have eyes to see the pattern as being revealed here of how Jesus lived, why he lived like that, and how we can live in the fullness of that as well. I pray, Lord, that we would no longer just be passive and conforming to the patterns of this world, but Spirit of God, that you would come and enable us and help us and lead us in renewing our minds so that we can live transformed and transformationally and that we might be those that are father pleasers and excellent lovers of others who are in desperate need to encounter the love of God. And I just pray, Lord, that these, these truths will work deeply in us and that we will be mobilized. I pray, Lord, that we would be... Um, that, do lost community, that community that know that we have freedom and we are fully devoted to carrying out your purposes. I, I just thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit, that through you we have access to the mind of Christ and that you would just remind us and allow that mind to function in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and together we say amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, online community. Join us by getting a coffee at home. We are going to head off. There is communion here. Please take it as well. We're going to take some communion, and we are going to go and enjoy continued fellowship. Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you, everyone, for being in the room. One more hand. See you next week.